You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm your host, Mason Choate, joined by managing editor of Hogbeat.com, Andrew Hutchinson. Before we get to everything today, I want to mention that we are sponsored by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. Go to CJ's in Fayetteville or Russellville. Um, get some burgers, get some fries, try their milkshakes. Milkshakes are amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, you won't regret it. Best burger you'll ever have in your life. Best burger in the world. I say it every week. Best burger in the world. That's what they are. Um, I'm probably going to go get some for lunch today because I'm craving a burger. So um, you should as well if you're in Fayetteville or Russellville. And also subscribe to hogbeat.com. Um, you will never, never regret that. A lot going on. If you want any insider info, if you want to hear from uh, Greg Brooks's grandmother about if he's going to transfer or not, go to hogbeat.com. Um, now, with all that said, Andrew Hutchinson, what a crazy week it has been so far. I was going to say 24 hours, but, I mean, it expands over 24 hours since the end of the Outback Bowl. There's been a ton of movement, a lot of guys entering the transfer portal, a lot of rumors swirling. Let's just start with – the the biggest news in the past 24 hours for us, Joe Fouché enters the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, that kind of caught everybody by surprise. I had heard from somebody about a month ago that that was a possibility. Uh, I didn't really believe it because Joe Fouché is a, you know, a, a starter who plays a ton of snaps, hardly ever comes off the field, plus he's a team captain. Uh, so it, it was really surprising. I thought that if anything, he might, you know, because he is a senior, I thought maybe he – he might decide to try his hand at the NFL. I didn't think he really had a great shot of getting drafted, uh, but instead he decides to enter the portal uh, instead of coming back for a bonus season here at Arkansas. Uh, Going to be interesting to see where he ends up. You know, I know a lot of people are making the connection like, well, LSU does have, you know, need and does need bodies, and he is from New Orleans, and uh, LSU would make a lot of sense. I don't know if LSU would take him, uh, but he is a experienced safety in the SEC who has steadily improved throughout his career and was actually a, a pretty decent safety for Arkansas this year. Uh, so it is surprising, um, but it, from an Arkansas perspective, they do have Jalen Catalan coming back at safety. They do have, you know, assuming there's no other transfers, you still have Miles Slusher, you still have Simeon Blair, you still have Malik Chavis. Uh, you still have Jaden Johnson, who could be a, a nickel or a safety. So you've got a lot of pieces returning. I don't think it's just a total disaster, but it is. It would I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't a significant loss, just from the experience and leadership perspective. Yeah, I mean, Fouché, captain this year. Um, likely, I mean, if he comes back next year, he's probably going to be a starter. Um, so that's – along with – you look at the the transfers that affect Arkansas, I think – Fouché is probably the one that affects you the most so far, um, more than Vito Calvaruso. Am I am I wrong by saying that? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Vito would probably be number two on that list, which if you're talking about your kickoff specialist being the number two most impactful transfer, you've probably had a pretty good offseason in terms of, of important guys leaving. So, I mean, all the other guys, I mean, people talk about Devin Bush, you know, because he was a four-star recruit, but he's been here for three years and he hasn't really cracked the, the two deep depth chart, hadn't really made much of an impact. So not, not a super big loss. You know, maybe you could talk about some of the true freshmen that left before really ever, you know, truly getting a chance to do anything, you know, maybe one of those guys, but, but for the most part, it's been a lot of guys like a, you know, a Nick Turner or a, uh, a Towers or uh, someone like that who really hasn't impacted much and doesn't exactly have a lot of, promise i would say to to crack the depth chart and they'll probably move on somewhere where they can go play like we saw with josh oglesby the running back he looked at the depth chart saw that there were you know four or five guys ahead of him and said hey let me go somewhere i can play and now is Stephen f austin in fcs school and hopefully he'll get a chance to play so you mentioned nick turner and devin bush there those are two other guys that have entered the transfer portal from arkansas um kendall catalan brother of jalen catalan also enters the portal um, just talking about other players who have announced decisions for their futures. 
Uh, Jordan Silver, long snapper, declared for the NFL draft. Monteric Brown declared for the NFL draft. Traylon Smith, we know that he's moving on. We don't know what that means yet, um, but he's not going to be with Arkansas next year. Um, so I guess before we before we keep talking, because I don't want to just say all these names here, let's just go ahead and talk about Monteric Brown and Jordan Silver. I'm probably going to focus more on Monteric Brown, but um, I've seen that people think maybe rounds three to five, um, I know you're not an NFL draft scout, Hutch, but any idea of where you think he might go? I think right now it's too early to tell because I think a lot of it's going to depend on how he tests at the NFL Combine, which I believe I saw where he got invited. Uh, so that's that's big for him. Uh, if he can go and, and run well and, and do the shuttle and you know three-cone drill, all that kind of stuff, and, and time well and and then also interview well, which I, I think he will. I mean, he's a, a really good kid. I know he's beloved by his teammates. Uh, so I, I think he'll, if he could test well and all the athletic type stuff, then I think we could see him maybe go on a, maybe a day two, which would be on you know, rounds two and three, uh, maybe third round tops. Uh, but who knows? I mean, it, it all depends on those, those testing stuff. And uh, he's certainly, in my opinion, he's one of the more underappreciated, you know, Razorbacks of recent memory, as well as more one of the underrated SEC players, because he was he was a shutdown corner this year. I mean, just look at the Pro Football Focus data; he really shut down opposing teams, pretty much everyone except for Alabama. Which who can blame you with going against you know Jamison Williams and John Mechie? But uh, other than that, he was really really good, and I think he's going to earn a spot you know on a roster. And it would not surprise me to see him actually getting playing time in the NFL. Uh, in 2022 yeah he kind of reminds you a little bit of a Cameron Curl who was a safety but you look at him he was a little underappreciated at Arkansas I think he was a sixth or seventh round draft pick and now he's I mean he's a starting safety for the Washington football team and he's really good um, so I think you could get the same um, outcome from Monteric Brown depending on where he he winds up um, but let's see looking here Jordan Silver uh, a lot of people, when Jordan Silver declared for the NFL draft, were like, do long snappers get drafted? I know you did a piece kind of looking at the stats on that. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so last year, two long snappers got drafted. And then before that, I think it had been six or seven years in a row where one long snapper has been drafted. So it's not unheard of. Um, and based on what and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be a long snapper expert here. However, I have heard from people who know what they're talking about, and they believe he is one of the best available long snappers. Um, I don't know if Mel Kuyper does long snapper rankings or anything like that, but uh, he is a guy that you know, was very consistent at Arkansas, four-year starter. Uh, don't remember any bad snaps off the top of my head. Uh, and you know, he's also got, I think, pretty decent speed to be able to run down the field and, and cover kicks or punts or whatever, so... I think he's got a chance. Plus, it wasn't really a surprise to see him leave, especially when you factor in that they did sign a scholarship long snapper at Eli Stein in the 2022 class. That kind of is a dead giveaway. Like, okay, they're not expecting Jordan Silver back because he was on scholarship. He started out as a walk-on, earned a scholarship. Um, you're not going to keep two long snappers on scholarship, um, although it does seem like they might have two punters on scholarship next year. Uh, so that, that was kind of a dead giveaway. And I think Jordan, I think he's been invited to the NFL or the senior bowl. Uh, so that kind of tells you that, that scouts kind of are, are he's on their radar. Uh, so good, good showing there. If he tests well and all that stuff would not surprise me if he you know gets drafted late or if not, you know, he's going to get picked up as an undrafted free agent. And uh, depending on what the roster situation is, there's only 32 long snappers in the NFL. No one's keeping two long snappers on their roster. I don't think most teams are using a, a practice squad spot on a long snapper. But if he can find the right situation, uh, you know, maybe he can make a roster and become the next Brett Good. Yeah, you said that you don't remember a time where he he had a bad snap. And I saw when he when he declared for the NFL draft, some people were like, who's Jordan Silver? And then there were people who were like, well, that's a good thing that you don't know who he is because it means he didn't mess up. So um, Jordan Silver, one of the best at what he did um, in college football. So now, speaking of people moving on, there's still some players that we're waiting on um, decisions from. We know that Dalton Wagner is returning next season. Um, John Ridgway, we don't know. Shane Clinton, we don't know. The big name that everybody is is wanting to know about is Bumper Pool, linebacker. 
Apparently, he's supposed to make his decision Friday, which is the day that this podcast comes out. So we won't be able to talk about what decision he makes until next week. But um, Hutch, I mean, you have inside sources. I'm not asking you to give away the answer if you know what it is. But um, any idea on the decision that Bumper is going to make? Yeah, I don't know the the decision 100%, but I would be I'm I'm fairly confident that he's going to come back uh, just for a multitude of reasons. One, when you're looking at like all these draft projections and stuff like that, you're not really seeing bumper pool mentions as, you know, one of the top linebackers that could get drafted or even get drafted late. Two, he's a Razorback through and through. Yes, he is from Texas. He he grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, but he is a Razorback through and through. I think his parents went to Arkansas. He grew up cheering for the Razorbacks. I think he committed to Brett Bielema and then ended up sticking with Arkansas with Chad Morris. I mean, it was it was never a, a doubt that he was going to come to Arkansas and play. And to, to get another year at Arkansas, I think, would mean a lot to him. Um, so I think he comes back. But again, as we were talking before we started recording, you know, not, at this point, nothing surprises me. Uh, very, very little could surprise me. I would probably be surprised if Bumper entered the transfer portal. Like that would probably leave me stunned. Uh, but anything other than that, I nothing surprises me at this point. All right. So the big question that everybody wants to ask, including myself, because I don't understand it. I, I read your I read what you write and I just it just kind of like goes over my head because it's confusing. But with all these transfers, how many spots does Arkansas have left? Because they're still going to pursue players in the portal. You kind of hit on it a little bit earlier. How many spots can they fill, and where do you think they're going to fill them? Because um, there are some positions of need for this team. Yeah, so in college football, you have 25 spots every year, and they're called initial counters. Uh, however, Arkansas went over that limit in 2021 to bring in all the transfers like, you know, Trey, uh, Trey Williams, Markel Letzi, John Ridgeway, guys like that. They ended up going four over. So that takes away from your 25. So you would only have 21 spots to bring in what are called initial counters. That's high school kids. That's Juco kids. And that's also transfers out of the portal. Uh, if you remember back in uh, December, Arkansas signed 22, including the two transfers, Jaden Hazelwood and Landon Jackson. Uh, so technically they went one over. However, this year the NCAA has allowed a seven extra scholarships or seven extra spots in the 2022 class to make up for transfers. Uh, however, you have to have at least seven transfers transfer out to get all seven spots. Well, Arkansas has gone well over that seven uh, as far as transfers. I think they're, if you include the two seniors that transferred out, I think they're at like 12. Uh, so they got all seven extra spots. So 21 plus seven, that gives you 28 total spots. You're at 22 right now. Uh, and then you've got Miles Rouser, the safety from Michigan, four-star recruit, big-time player, has not signed yet, but all indications that are that he will sign in February. Uh, so assuming he signs, that would put him at 23. And that leaves you with five extra spots to play with, uh, for, for transfers, you could add a, a high school kid. I know like they're still on Gentry Williams, the four-star recruit from Tulsa that's technically still committed to Oklahoma. I would be very surprised if he changes his mind at this point, but who knows? Uh, so you can use those five spots on, on him. You could use it on transfers. Uh, you know, I know they're on the, the Tulsa defensive tackle, Jackson Player, who put Arkansas in his top five, would be a really big get for Arkansas in terms of you know, being a position of need plus a productive player. Uh, in the American Athletic Conference, which is you know not not a Power Five, but right there, uh, so there there there's still some spots, there's still some movement going on, uh, and I'm glad I'm not uh, Sam Pittman and having to figure out how to get the get the 85 finalized because it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk more about that in positions of need, kind of some um, depth chart projections, if you will, uh, later on here in the episode. But up next, we're going to talk about the Outback Bowl victory that Arkansas had over Penn State. Um, we're going to run that down. Then we're going to we're going to talk more about football after that, and then we're going to get to the basketball team that nobody really wants to talk about or hear about. But we're going to talk about them because there's there's some things that we need to break down and some things we got to get to. But all that. Um, here on the Hogbeat Hour. 
You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas and HitThatLine.com. All right, back here on the Hogbeat Hour talking Outback Bowl. Arkansas takes down Penn State. Alex Trader is not here to defend his beloved Big Ten. Um, but let's let's start with the first half, Hutch, because it was a little – it was kind of confusing. I'm not going to lie to you. Because it, it, it was almost like, um, you know, same story as all year long. There's just some play calls that kind of confuse you. And I'm not like the people who are going to sit here and bash Kendall Bryles and say that he doesn't know what he's doing because I think Kendall Bryles is a good offensive coordinator and he adjusts well to the game that is going on. But, I mean, Warren Thompson throw at the end of the second half, what are you doing? I mean, just run the ball. Um, There were some things that they needed to fix, and it seems like they did in the second half. Yeah, that double pass play call at the end of the first half was – one of the dumber play calls I've seen in a long time, just that that play has never worked. Uh, we had some people on the message board po- point out that wide receivers now in the last two years are one of 11 passing with three interceptions. That's not good uh, to say the least. So uh, I didn't understand it. You were right on the verge of being in Cam Little's field goal range. And all you had to do, I think they still, I think they had timeouts left. So, I mean, you could have run the ball. You could have thrown the ball with KJ. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm wanting the guy that completes nearly 67% of his passes throwing the ball uh, rather than Warren Thompson, who is a wide receiver. Uh, so it, it was a rough first half. It was a rough first half for Warren Thompson. Not only did he throw that interception, but uh, he was the guy that, that KJ was trying to throw to in the back of the end zone on the first drive of the game where it was intercepted. But if you watch the replay, you see Warren Thompson just kind of standing there. He didn't go attack the ball and try to go get it like you're supposed to be taught. Uh, so that was a mistake. Or later in the half, he caught a pass that was really close to the first down line. And instead of like trying to go forward and get just the last little extra yard to convert a third down, the dude runs backwards loses yards uh i mean he's it still resulted in positive game but he he went from being either close to a first down or definite first down to being like four yards short um they ended up getting the fourth down on that so they it didn't hurt them Uh, but just a really rough first half for warren thompson a guy that a lot of people had hoped that would step up and and kind of be that guy in in Traylon burks's absence uh but the overall the, the first half was pretty pretty rough uh the first quarter Arkansas's offense seemed to move the ball. They just didn't really convert it. They did score the one touchdown. They had the interception in the end zone, as I mentioned. Uh, I think they ran for like 93 yards or something in the first quarter and then ran for 11 or something in the uh, second quarter. So very contrasting, you know, halves or quarters uh, going into halftime. But as you said, they, they did figure it out after halftime. Yeah, I mean, eventually they got the win, 24 to 10. First bowl win over a Big Ten team. Um, first time to win a Florida Bowl since what 1979, I think. Was that it? Was the Orange Bowl 78, the 78 Orange Bowl after the 77 season? Okay, so that's uh, either way, a long time since Arkansas has won a Florida Bowl game. Um, so you finished the season nine and four. Let's see, half of losses were against two national championship participants that's Alabama and Georgia. Um, Alabama game very competitive. Uh, but let's let's just talk about this game specifically. You could tell early on that Arkansas was going to be able to run the ball, and we knew that going in. I know Alex Trader talked to, on this podcast a lot about how um, if Arkansas did not have like a 70-30 run to pass, then they just things are not how they should be. And in the first half, it we saw that it kind of wasn't like that, but in the second half, it was like 90-10 run to pass. I mean, like, do you know, is there a stat how many passes they threw in the second half? Do you know that off the top of your head? I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know it's not very many because they ran the ball at will, <clears throat> including K.J. Jefferson really getting involved in the run game, uh, had a really nice game. I mean, Dominic Johnson ran the ball, Rocket Sanders ran the ball, A.J. Green ran it a little bit. Didn't see very much Traylon Smith, but as we talked about earlier, he's moving on. Uh, But for overall, it was a really nice performance uh, by Arkansas's run game, and and the the offensive line took care of business. But when you're going up against the defense, like, yes, it was one of the best defenses in the country this year, 
but it was not at full strength. I mean, they were down five starters uh, to opt-outs. That doesn't even include their other defensive tackle that got hurt halfway through the year, kind of like what Jalen Catalan was for Arkansas. So really, you're down at least six guys that, you know, before the season you thought were going to be your starters. And uh, I, I said it, I told uh, the, the Penn State rival site, I said, you know, the reason I'm picking Arkansas is because they should be able to run the ball at will. They should be able to run it down their throats and and just dominate the line of scrimmage. And turns out it, it, it took a half, but that's what happens. Yeah, uh, before we get to Arkansas's running game in the second half, I do kind of want to talk about the pass rush that the, the Razorbacks had. It seemed like Sean Clifford was running for his life most of the game, and it, it really affected um, the accuracy of his throws as well, especially in the second half. So the pass rush for Arkansas, we've seen over the course of maybe, what, the last three or four games that Barry Odom has been dialing up the heat a little bit more than he had earlier on in the season. Um, and the, the unfortunate thing is that you're not going to have probably John Ridgway coming back. And, but the good thing is, is that Trey Williams wasn't there. So your best pass rusher wasn't there, and you were able to, um, you know, get to the quarterback pretty, pretty easily. They didn't have a whole lot of sacks, but the pressure was there. Yeah, I was a little bit concerned, and I think pro football focus, uh, I don't know if they've updated their grades or not, but they didn't really grade the pass rush very high, uh, which wasn't surprising because, as you said, they didn't really get home on very many stacks. Uh, they almost did. I, I remember one play in particular, Zach Williams, I think, had Clifford like in his hands, like had jersey and everything, and somehow Clifford was able to escape. He is a little bit – has a little bit of mobility to him. Uh, he did run for like 40-something yards with a lot of them on scrambles. Uh, so yeah, it, they they did generate some pass rush, and as you said, they've been dialing up the the blitz a little bit more. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, I think it's the last four games of the year they blitz like 42, 43 percent of the time, whereas before that, the first like eight or nine games, they only blitz like 19 percent. So they they totally dialed it up uh, down the stretch. I don't know what, what what it was that kind of led to that philosophy change. Uh, but but they they tried to get after the quarterback and and I was I was concerned I'm not gonna lie that, that Sean Clifford was gonna have kind of like a Bo Nix type performance because to me they're kind of similar quarterbacks uh, and he did he did hurt him a little bit with his legs uh, but he also missed some open receivers and was clearly affected as you said by by the pass rush and, and did not have a very good performance I think he completed less than 50 percent of his passes and you'll take that every day. Yeah, you will. And speaking of scrambling and quarterback play, K.J. Jefferson in the second half, I mean, you knew going into halftime that coming out of that locker room, K.J. Jefferson was probably going to take over the game. And sure enough, he did. Arkansas scores 17 points in the third quarter. K.J. had 110 rushing yards. He was sacked five times, but most of those yards coming in the second half. I mean, this is a guy that a lot of people said after the game, he's probably a a top five quarterback in the SEC next year, but you're looking at a guy who might be one of the top quarterbacks in the country next year. Yeah, I think KJ really kind of made a statement, and and I thought it might be a statement type game for KJ, considering he didn't have Traylon Burks, and and yes, he didn't pass the ball super well, but they also really didn't take any deep shots. I mean, they did, they didn't attempt any passes tw thrown twenty yards downfield. Uh, he was the most accurate 20 yard downfield passer in the, in the country when looking at only quarterbacks that attempted at least 40 such passes. So uh, they didn't really cater to his strengths, but that's also because I don't know if they have a guy that was capable of, of catching those passes. We talked about Warren Thompson, but Tyson Morris has shown flashes, but he's going to be gone. Davion Warren is going to be gone. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a little bit concerning that they didn't have any you know, deep type threat, but they didn't need it. And that's why I'm not super concerned by it. Like they, they didn't have to throw the ball. They were running it. And it was kind of like the Texas game earlier in the year where, you know, I asked uh, Sam Pittman something about, you know, Hey, Traylon Burks didn't really, you know, have that much production. Like it was kind of a, an off game. Like, was he concerned? He said, well, we were averaging like seven yards of carry. So why would we throw it? And I was like, well, fair point, you know? And I think they averaged like six yards of carry against Penn state. Uh, so I, I think it was a really good performance by KJ showing that he can beat you with his legs. Uh, but he's also shown throughout the year that he's capable of beating you with his arm as well. So I, I fully 
expect him to be kind of a get a lot of preseason love. He won't be the preseason first team All SEC quarterback because that'll be Bryce Young. He won the Heisman Trophy, uh, but I think he could be the second team guy. He's he's going to have some competition. You know, uh, I think, you know, Will Rogers from Mississippi State's probably going to get some love just because he put up a lot of stats in that Mike Leach offense. Uh, Hooker from Tennessee had a pretty good year that I don't think people in the SEC West really took much notice of. And then, of course, Spencer Rattler is going to get some love just because he's Spencer Rattler and he's at South Carolina now. So um, I'm going to be interested to see how those preseason All-SEC teams look. But uh, I know KJ is getting my vote for the second team for sure. I was I was looking for this stat. Uh, for the last time I spoke, but I couldn't find it. But you, you talked about Arkansas. They didn't have to throw the ball. So they ended they ended the first half with the Warren Thompson interception that we've talked about. But to start the second half, the first drive, it goes like this. K.J. Jefferson, 10-yard run. Then you have a Dominique Johnson, 2-yard run. But then K.J. for 14, Dominique for 5. K.J., another 14-yard run. Dominique, 22 yards. And then K.J., 8-yard touchdown. Like that is that is that's an awesome drive right there. That's just beautiful football, and that's about what the second half was for Arkansas. And just talk a little bit about the adjustment that they made because they were trying to throw the ball a little bit in the first half. But do you think it was it was Sam Pittman going into the locker room at halftime and he was like, "Hey, Kendall, let's just run the ball," or do you think it was Kendall saying, "We're just going to go out there and run the ball"? Um, I know you weren't in the locker room, but just what do you think happened? I would imagine Sam Pittman probably made a suggestion to Kendall and said, hey, let's let's keep this on the ground and, and until they can prove to stop us. And, and they never did. I mean, you, you mentioned that opening drive, seven, 75 yards on seven runs. Pretty, pretty efficient. You'll take that any day. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it was kind of a – it was probably a mutual decision. I mean, I think Kendall Bryles is not the idiot that some Arkansas fans make him out to be. Uh, he is a very good offensive-minded guy. And, uh, you know, they, they run the ball – they ran the ball a lot at Baylor, uh, and he's run the ball a lot at previous stops. So uh, they, they decided that they were going to get K.J. Jefferson involved in the run game. Uh, I don't know how many yards he had in the first half, but it wasn't a ton. I mean, he did what he – he was sacked five times. That counts against your rushing total. All those were in the first half. Uh, but for him to come out and finish with 110 yards, being the first Arkansas quarterback since Matt Jones with the 100-yard rushing game way back in 2004, uh, it was huge. I mean, James Franklin, the Penn State head coach, talked about it afterwards, said that they, they really made a conscious decision to, to run with KJ, and they just they couldn't stop him. Uh, he went into some more of the X's and O's and stuff. And I wrote about that after the game. Y'all can go look at that at hogbeat.com. But uh, they, it was, it was really, they, they did, they took what Penn state was giving them and took what Penn state could not stop with, with their kind of thrown together defense. And uh, they, they just made them pay. So this will kind of be a preview for our next segment where we kind of look ahead to next season um, look at some some position groups, uh, preview a little bit of depth chart stuff. But this game was a little bit of an audition tape for some of the, the younger guys and the guys coming back next season. And I'm thinking specifically in the wide receiver room, you didn't get a whole lot of what you were expecting. We know Sam Pittman talked about Bryce Stevens being a guy who could make an impact in the bowl game. And he had three catches for five yards. Um, so Hutch, any takeaways, any guys that you were looking for, and um, what did you see from them? Yeah, Bryce Stevens did not really particularly impress me a whole lot as a receiver. I've liked what I've seen from him as a punt returner. Uh, I mean, obviously one of those was against UAPB, so you can't really count out too much, but he did have a nice return against LSU, showed showed the speed that everyone's kind of excited about. Uh, but he, I think on his first catch, he actually technically fumbled. They had to go to review, and they found out that he fumbled benefited Arkansas because it went forward and, and I think Tyson Morris picked it up for a game uh, but all, all the passes I threw him were kind of these swing passes kind of screens trying to get him out in space and use that speed uh, but was just never able to to do that I think he bobbled one pass that kind of contributed to it that's an issue we've seen with Bryce in practice is drops uh, his hands have not been super consistent uh, I don't know if that's something that could potentially improve as time goes on uh, but that, that was a little bit concerning. You know, we didn't see Keytron Jackson targeted with any passes. 
you would have liked to see him targeted some. I think he played like half the snaps. I mean, he was on the field, and I saw him making some plays, you know, trying to block down field for guys, and you love to see that out of a receiver. Uh, but other than that, you know, offensively, there weren't really other uh, young guys that, that played a whole lot. You know, we did get to see, I think, I think Pooh Paul, the linebacker, played some on special teams. I think Jaden Johnson played some a little bit, but we've seen him off and on throughout the year. Uh, really, it wasn't – you didn't really see too many uh, young guys get a lot of snaps because, you know, they, they weren't just treating it as an exhibition. They, they were going out there to try to win it and you're going to use your best guys to win. And, and if the freshmen were the best guys, you probably would have seen them a little bit more throughout the season. Yeah, no, I agree. But uh, one guy, a kind of younger guy, that we didn't mention is Malik Hornsby there at the end of the game. Um, let's see, I, I did the math here. His last run, I think, was a negative seven-yard run. And so that brought him down to 67 yards. But before that, he had three carries for 74 yards and that was an average of like 25 yards a carry almost so he was he was very efficient running the ball yeah that was really good to see I mean KJ did get a little banged up uh, there in the second half on a run uh, he was able to return uh, but they let they let Malik finish it out and, and I don't think anyone's ever questioned that he could run I mean we've we've seen him flash as a runner throughout the year uh, so that that was I mean, I would still like to see him pass the ball. Uh, they didn't have to pass it when he, when he was in there. Uh, but to see him run it the way he did, and he almost got a touchdown. He had a run down to, like, the one-yard line. It was just short of the goal line. Uh, that would have been cool to see him score. But uh, that, that was encouraging to see, and, and hopefully that gave him enough of a taste of, of playing time that he doesn't try to do the, the college football thing and, and transfer out because uh, you, you like to have a guy like that as your backup in case KJ gets banged up. And with K, the way KJ plays and his style is, is always a possibility. Well, we're going we're gonna to wrap that up. And then next we're going to talk about the 2022 season. We're going to look ahead to that. Um, who's going to be the top wide receiver? Maybe some position changes. Who's going who's gonna to rush the passer? And Arkansas has the toughest schedule in the country once again. Um, so we're going to talk about all that. Then we're going to talk about basketball later on here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. All right, we're back here on the Hogbeat Hour. Mason Choate and Andrew Hutchinson with you today. No Alex Trader. Um, he is, I think he, he's in Disney World, right? Good for Alex. Happy for him. But uh, we are brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. They have locations in Fayetteville and Russellville. Uh, best burger in the world. Like, it literally is the best burger in the world. I'm not saying that because they're our, our sponsor. I'm saying that because it's actually a really freaking good burger. And you should go get one today. Like I said, locations in Fayetteville and Russellville. If you're in Fayetteville, I know for sure it's off Weddington. Russellville, I think it's Arkansas Avenue. Um, but definitely want to go get that um, get the fries get the get the milkshake it's better than any ice cream place milkshake that you'll get it's a really good milkshake i promise you um go to cj's uh hutch we're gonna talk we're gonna talk some 2022 football a little bit and then we're gonna get into basketball but let's start with this schedule for 2022 because there's no cupcakes i mean you could say missouri state but that's Bobby Petrino coming into town. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know much about Missouri State football other than Bobby Petrino, but I'm assuming that, I mean, they're going to give Arkansas a run for their, for their money because Bobby Petrino might have a bone to pick. Yeah, I mean, Missouri State was dreadful before Bobby Petrino got there. I think they went like 1-9 and nine or 1-10 and 10 or I don't know how many games they play at the FCS level, but uh, they were not good. And Bobby Petrino, I think this is his second year now and he has them rolling i think they i want to say i want to say they went like eight and four or something like that maybe made the fcs playoffs but i do know for a fact that they gave oklahoma state a run for its money at the very beginning of the year and oklahoma state we saw what they could do i mean they made it to a new year's six bowl game uh so yeah it is a a definite um challenging game for an fcs standpoint a lot tougher than uapb uh, so if, if you've got that kind of a challenge at, 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 as your FCS opponent, and then you throw in the fact you got Cincinnati and Liberty and BYU, 
I mean, holy smokes, that is a brutal schedule for not having any Power 5 opponents, or at least teams that are currently Power 5. We know Cincinnati will be very soon. None of those are Power 5 opponents, but every one of those are teams that are capable of beating you if you don't come up and, and show up with your best performance. Yeah, I mean, you open the season against a team in Cincinnati that was in the college football playoff. Some people say they didn't deserve to be, but they won all their games and they made it to the college football playoff and Alabama was just that good. So, uh, but the good thing for Arkansas is you get most of your, most of your games at home. Um, you, you look down the schedule and you, you play at A&M on September 24th, not at A&M, you play in Texas at AT&T Stadium. So that's a neutral site game. But the first true road test is not until October 8th when you travel to Mississippi State and then you have a three-game stretch where it's at Mississippi State, at BYU, at Auburn. And then you got Liberty, LSU, Ole Miss at home. And then you close out the year at Missouri. So uh, this year they had some really tough road tests because you think at Georgia, at Alabama, at LSU. And this, in this next season, they get a little bit of an easier time with, you know, you get Alabama at home, you get LSU at home. So you think that'll help the Hogs out a little bit? You know, it's kind of a catch-22 because it's like, well, Alabama, are you going to beat them whether you're at home or on the road? Uh, I mean, although they, they they played them really tough this year down in Tuscaloosa, uh, maybe being at home kind of gives you the advantage. You know, if, if that game had been in, in Fayetteville this year, maybe the result flips. I'm not 100% sure. You know, LSU, I think that definitely helps getting them at home. Death Valley is a tough place to play, although they were able to win last or this past season. Uh, down there uh, so it it does help uh, that trip to Provo to play BYU though is just it's scary I mean BYU I think I saw today or a stat where they I think they won nine I think they went nine and three this year or something and they went like four and oh or five and oh against the Pac-12 uh, so that they are a, a good quality team they're always challenging I, I believe their quarterback is probably not going to be coming back I'm not 100% sure on their situation uh, but they're always a really good program they've got a bunch of you know those 24 25 year old kids on their team because uh, the the players take their you know two-year Mormon mission before they start playing college football uh, so it, it is a very unique kind of situation uh, personally, I'm really looking forward to the trip because I've never been to Utah, and I think it's a really cool, like if you look up pictures of their stadium, it looks pretty cool. So uh, I think that it is a, a, a very challenging test for Arkansas, plus you know, the trip to Auburn is never easy. Uh, trip to Mississippi State is never easy with all those cowbells. Uh, so, I mean, life in the SEC, it, it's tough anyways. Uh, so it, it, it's really kind of like, you know, it's pick your poison, whether, you know, this this past year's games being on the road uh, versus uh, this year's uh, this coming season's games on the road they're all pretty challenging and we didn't even mention that after after you play Cincinnati to open the year then you got South Carolina and Spencer Rattler coming to town and they just had a bowl win over North Carolina so it's a it's going to be a good South Carolina team too so it, it just does not get easier for Arkansas in the SEC but, uh, Hutch, before we wrap up this segment, I want to do a little bit of rapid fire with you about some position groups. So let's just start with the one that most people probably want to know about, wide receiver. Give me your, your top wide receiver for next season. I think every Arkansas fan is holding their breath and praying that it is Jaden Hazelwood, that he can live up to the hype and be the kind of guy that everyone thought he would be when he was the number one receiver in the 2019 class because Warren Thompson – I think he's got potential, but it worries me. Uh, Keetron Jackson, I think he has potential, but we haven't seen it. Jaden Hazelwood is the most proven guy on the team. Uh, you know, maybe Isaiah Satinia, uh, Sam Mbake, one of those guys, the signees, maybe they could come in and be it. But I think everyone in Arkansas is hoping that it will be Jaden Hazelwood. Pass rushers. Um, you're losing probably your entire starting three pass rushers in Ridgeway, Williams, and Utsi. Who do you think is going to step up? They might get someone in the transfer portal, but let's just talk about people on the roster right now. Yeah, they did bring in Landon Jackson, the transfer from LSU. I think they're really hoping he could come in and contribute. But again, he's he's he had a pretty serious injury as a senior in high school, uh, kind of limited him as a freshman at LSU this year. So again, unproven talents. 
the guy I think that maybe gets lost in the shuffle some is Zach Williams. I mean, he's going to be a senior next year. Uh, if you look at pro football focus, he did kind of kind of generate some pressures this year uh, with, despite not playing a whole lot. Uh, so maybe he's a guy that can, can step up and, and be a guy that, that gets you a pass rush. I think Jashad Stewart also has a chance to be that guy. Uh, you know, he's a, he was a sophomore this year, so still really young. Another offseason, you know, keep, you know, getting comfortable in the system. Uh, those are a couple of guys. And then Eric Gregory is another one I want to mention. I think he's a guy that's capable of playing inside or outside on the defensive line, depending if they go on a three-man or a four-man front. Uh, but he's a guy that I think has a lot of potential to be a guy that can maybe get you some pass rush. Well, I, I would ask you some more questions, but we got to get to basketball talk. But we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk Arkansas football between now and the start of next season. So up next, we're going to talk about basketball. Arkansas loses to Vanderbilt at home, 75-74. Um, a lot of people are upset, so we'll, we'll talk about it, give our takes on it here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, back here on the Hogbeat Hour, last segment um, from Andrew Hutchinson and myself. We are brought to you by CJ's but- Butcher Boy Burgers. Go get some burgers from CJ's. Best burger in the world. That's all I'm going to say. You will not regret it. Uh, basketball Hutch. I mean, uh, both of us were kind of dreading talking about this before we started, but you got to talk about it. And I I mentioned it's going to be a long season if this team keeps playing like this. They lost to Vandy 75-74 to in Bud Walton Arena. Just a game that you can't lose. Uh, We kind of talked about it last week. This, I I think we mentioned that this was almost a must-win game for Arkansas, and they lost. I mean, they they had it there at the end. They had like three opportunities. You had a Chris Likes. All he had to do was make a free throw. Jackson Robinson – a guy that you brought in just to make three-pointers for the most part, misses a wide-open three, and then J.D. Note, as time expires, misses a three where, I mean, I mean he had plenty of room to shoot it. Um, so three opportunities, must talked about it after the game. They had three opportunities. But realistically, it shouldn't have came down to that, Hutch. No, Vanderbilt is a team you're supposed to beat. I know Vanderbilt is a lot better this year than they have been the last couple of years when they were you know last in the SEC and just – just terrible uh this year they actually seem to be a pretty decent team but i mean come to find out they were shorthanded they only had nine available scholarship players and one of those guys was a walk-on they didn't get a scholarship until like christmas break so uh, basically only eight true scholarship players Uh, one of those was scotty pippen jr though and and he's one of the best players if not the best player in the league Uh, so that that was a team that you should beat and a team that you should beat where it doesn't come down to the last second. Uh, and even even though it did come down to the last second, I mean, you mentioned it right there, Vanderbilt tried giving it away. I mean, they tried everything they could to give Arkansas the win. I mean, they, they missed free throws down the stretch. They had the turnovers. They gave, you know, gave up an offensive rebound to a five-foot-seven guy. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, they did everything they could to lose, and Arkansas just – just couldn't do it. And so that was very, very disappointing to see Arkansas lose that game. As you said, a must win, in my opinion, because you, you lose to Mississippi State. I mean, if, if anyone has ever take – a, take a second, look at the schedule uh, for Arkansas. The back half of the SEC slate is brutal. I mean, they really need to win as many games as they can during the front half of that schedule. And Vanderbilt's one of those you expected to win. Mississippi State is a tough place to play. You can kind of write that off. Plus, you, you know, we're without J.D. Note. But Vanderbilt, man, at home in Bud Walton Arena, that's a game you got to win. And, and to not have that happen, extremely disappointing. And now you're going to have to go win a game you're not expected to win in order to make up for it. And I just – I haven't seen anything from this team to make me feel like they can do that. If you're looking for a silver lining or maybe something to encourage you, last season Arkansas did start one and two in SEC play. Um, then they got a win against Georgia, and then they went and lost two games to LSU and Alabama. So they started one and two and then two and four in SEC play last season. So, But like you said, the, the stretch – down the stretch in the SEC does not get easier for Arkansas. These are This is supposed to be the easy part of the SEC schedule with Mississippi State and Vandy. Um, and it, this is a team that you watch them and it 
I look at them and I think none of these players really know what role they serve. And, you know, Eric Musselman's talked about during his time at Arkansas, they want to reach so many passes per game. And I, I watch this team. And sometimes I feel like they make a pass that they, that they don't need to make because one, I feel like they're trying to reach a specific amount of passes. And two, I feel like they maybe they don't know their role and they're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to shoot this. Let me give it to JD or Chris or whoever. And I, I just feel like a lot of people say this team has no identity. I, I kind of agree with that. What is the identity of this team? Because, I mean, it seems like every other night you're you're looking at a different players leading you in scoring and then a guy who is supposed to be a good player is not being good. It's like you look at Audis Tony. He was really bad for a few games there, and then he scores, what, 20 this game? And then Devo Davis, I mean, he was your leading scorer for like a two- or three-game stretch. And then, I mean, he was just awful against Vanderbilt. So, I mean, Hutch, I'm assuming you're going to have the answer. They don't have an identity. But what what do you see when you look at this team? Yeah, I think if I had the answer to this, uh, I could probably make a lot of money by being a consultant to Eric Muslin because I think he's still looking for the answers himself. I mean, this is a guy – that knows basketball. He's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. Uh, and he is still searching for answers. And you could just tell it like in his body language after games, in post-game interviews, uh, in interviews you know, during the week leading up to games. You just you don't get warm, fuzzy feelings after talking to him because he just, he just doesn't seem comfortable. And I think that there's, they've struggled with chemistry on this team. They've struggled with finding an identity, as you said. And I don't know what it is. I mean, you'd think that now that we're, what, 14 games into the season, that they would have some sort of idea of what they're going to look like. And I don't think they do. And that's, frankly, terrifying. And, and I think they, they have got some serious work to do between now and, you know, the end of the season if they're going to get right the ship and get this thing turned around and make the NCAA tournament. Because uh, they, they seriously have some work to do. You think they have to go at least – at least nine and nine in SEC play, especially if you beat uh, West Virginia. If you don't beat West Virginia, maybe you got to go 10 and eight. You're already 0 and two. Whew, that's a lot of wins in a short amount of time that you got to get taken care of. So uh, I, I am very, very concerned. I'm not, you know, mailing it in yet, but I'm very concerned with this basketball team and if they can, they can get that identity and get things figured out in time to, to make a postseason push. Yeah, I mean, they got up next, they got at AM this Saturday, and then you get Missouri and Bud Walton Arena next Wednesday. So those are those are two games. You talk about must-win games. Those are two teams that um, they're not on the top half of the SEC, but those are games that you need to win. Um, A&M and then Missouri for sure and Bud Walton next Wednesday. Now, talk, talking positives, I mean, Stanley Amude kind of looked like the guy that you expected, 28 points. He was – it felt like in the first half, every time he threw it up, he wasn't going to miss. I think he only missed one shot in the first half. And, you know, a lot of people said at the end of the game, let Amude shoot it because he was on fire all night. But it was it was good to see Stanley Amude emerge because we saw it against Mississippi State. I think he scored 19. That was a season high for him. And then he comes back and scores 28 against Vanderbilt. So if you can get Amude playing consistently – and then you can get J.D. Note to score his points. If you can get 20 from Tony every night, maybe not 20 every night, but if you can have Tony score um, at least double digits, that that's encouraging for Arkansas um, because, you know, I talked with some people before the Vanderbilt game. It feels like every game only one player was doing well. Like it, you, you look back and it feels like it's just a different player every game of who's going to lead them. And they just don't have consistency in scoring. And maybe you can start to get consistency with Stanley Amude. Yeah, that's something Eric Mussman talked about, you know, leading up to the, the Vanderbilt game is they, he needs consistency from his guys. I mean, from everybody. And uh, aside from maybe Jalen Williams, he's probably been the most consistent guy on the team. Everyone else has been just wildly inconsistent. I mean, you mentioned Audis Tony. It was only a couple of games ago that he scored zero points. And then he comes out and scores 20, uh, 16 of which came in the second half against, against Vanderbilt. So uh, Stanley Amude, you expected him to be a, you know, a top scorer for you. And he had been kind of quiet really throughout the first part of the season, throughout non-conference play. But then here we are in SEC play and 
boom, all of a sudden there he's, he's lighting it up and, and scoring at a high level. Uh, but even he needs to get a little bit better because I, I, I asked about it uh, after the game with Muss, and he was like, yeah, he scored 28 points, but he had one defensive rebound in like 30 minutes of playing time. At his position, that's not good. He needs to be able to rebound a little bit better, uh, and, and Eric Musselman pointed that out. So, uh, yes, he, he needs to get better. I mean, everybody needs to get better. I mean, Devo Davis, you mentioned him. I mean, just a dreadful performance, just I don't, I, I don't have an explanation for it. I mean, it was almost like he was dribbling it and just handing the ball to Vanderbilt. It was that bad. And I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Because he wasn't that bad last year. I mean, he was a good player last year. And, yes, he's being asked to take on a different role. But you wouldn't think that it would cause such a drastic turn of events in, in his play. Uh, so that, that's concerning. But, yeah, you, you got to get better, more consistent play out of each of those guys because – if you look at the roster on paper, this team is better than what they've played. This team should be a top 25 team if you just look at the, the parts. But they just haven't meshed. They haven't you know, gelled together and, uh, and, and been consistent. And it's, it's led to this 10-4 and four record that is a lot worse than it probably seems uh, you know, just when you hear 10-4 and because they've lost four of their last five. 0-2 in SEC play for the first time since 2013-14. Uh, just – Things are not going well for the basketball team, and they've got to get it figured out. Now, I will say there were times against Vanderbilt where on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, it looked like they were working together well. On defense, they had a few possessions where they they were playing that defense that you saw last year, that, that tight defense where they were just pressuring the opponent. And I think Vanderbilt had one or two shot clock violations and then offensively, they had some good ball movement. I know Jackson Robinson had some really good cross-court passes. And then they – they, I mean, Amude, you had him scoring. Um, they had a couple open threes and then a couple passes to Tony wide open. Like I remember Jalen Williams found Tony under the glass wide open one time. And so there were, there were, you know, times where they looked like they were working together well. And that might be good for Arkansas, but the thing is – what lineups work well, and Musselman has to figure out who, who are you going to pair together because there were definitely times where a lineup does not work together well. It felt like every time Devo Davis was on the floor, that's why it wasn't working well. But I think the hardest thing so far has been to find a group that meshes well together for, for Eric Musselman, Hutch. Yeah, I think that goes back to that chemistry and, and consistency that we've been talking about. It just hasn't, hasn't been there, and it's so frustrating because they've had – those really good stretches. They just haven't had 40 minutes all of, all together because if they could put 40 minutes together, then yes, I do think they could be a top 25 team, but I just am starting to lose faith that they're ever going to be able to put that 40 minutes together. Well, they'll have the chance to do it against Texas A&M on Saturday. I kind of talked about how that's a game you should win, but I'm looking at their record in their 12 and two. Um, they just beat Georgia. Uh, they've, they got a win over Notre Dame, over Butler. I mean, this is a team that's probably a pretty good team, and you're traveling to College Station this Saturday. Um, but we'll see if the Hawks can get that win, and we will, uh, we'll talk to you guys next Thursday on ESPN and Friday on YouTube. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com.